Good morning. So a little bit of housekeeping. Um, in um, two weeks, on August the 20th, we are starting a series on the book of Revelation. Um, and I would like your help. So um, if you get the ECC e-letter, you're going to get a link in that e-letter this week for a one-question survey about the book of Revelation. A one-question. It's multiple choice. One question. So if you get our e-letter, please uh, open it up this week and, and uh, click on the link and take that one-question survey. It'd be a big uh, help to me and to us. And if you don't get the e-letter, you should. So uh, on the communication card, you can let us know. You can go through there and, and sign up for the e-letter as well. I encourage you to do that. So um, on the evening of November 2nd, 2016, I was a guest along with a few other people in the home of Pastor Kurt and Joe Kincannon. It was game seven of the World Series between the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians. By the sixth inning, Chicago was winning, six to three. In the eighth inning, I think it was, uh, Cleveland tied it up. And this is where, according to one sports writer, where, how did he put it? Here is where the wheels fall off and the curse is still alive. Despair began to grip the team. By the bottom of the ninth inning, the game was still tied. And then the rain began to fall. And then there was a rain delay. Delayed the start of what would be the 10th inning. The Cubs were despairing. The mood was grim in the dugout. The belief in the curse of the Billy Goat that it supposedly kept the Cubs for winning, for seven, winning the World Series for 71 years. It was actually 108 years, but we can only blame the Goat for the last 71 that, that belief in the curse of the Billy Goat was beginning to uh, gain new life in the clubhouse of the Chicago Cubs. It was also beginning to gain new life in the living room of the Kincannon household. But then during that rain delay, right fielder Jason Hayward, sensing the defeat in the air, called his team together and he exhorted them, remember who you are. Remember who you are. He reminded them of the kind of season they had had so far. They were the best regular season team in all of baseball that year. They had already come through and won two levels of playoffs. And they'd even come back from a three-games-to-one deficit to force Game 7 of the World Series. The rain stopped. The 17-minute rain delay ended. And the Cubs went back on the field, revived, refreshed, energized they remembered who they were they remembered their identity and they scored two go-ahead runs in the top of the 10th and went on to win game seven and the championship it should be pointed out that i was the only one in the living room that night who was rooting for cleveland <laughs> that said i was very happy for the cubs and especially for all my friends who were cubs fans who had waited so long to celebrate this week we continue as we look into our ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence. And we lift up the middle one this morning, transformation, by which we mean that we aspire to be transformed and ever transforming into the image of Christ. Like the Chicago Cubs in 2016, no matter what, we strive to remember who we are in Christ and to lean into our identity day by day, moment by moment, inning by inning. Last week we looked at the third of our touchstones, presence, and we, we started there because this is where people go when they have been welcomed by God in Christ 
and are being transformed and ever transforming. They come to know God in Christ. They learn to follow and become more like Jesus day by day, and they're therefore able to be the presence of Christ to their neighbors, to love their neighbors in word and in deed, and to pursue God's purposes in the world. The parable at the end of our reading is one that we as a congregation were introduced or reintroduced to most recently when we began the Vitality Pathway uh, in the spring of 2017, more than six years ago. The Vitality Pathway is a process that is designed by our denomination to help congregations experience revitalization. And according to this pathway, there are four types of churches ranked in order from the healthiest to the not to the least healthiest, let's call it that. Healthy missional, stable, critical moment, and at risk. We identified, ECC identified as a stable church, a church that may have a lot going for it, may have good resources, people, money in the bank, a good building, a good campus, and so forth, may even be doing a lot of good things, worthy things, but we are not as healthy and as missional as we could be. And this was true of us. This was true of us. For a stable church to become a healthy missional church, the prescription was that we needed an incremental change in programming and a monumental change of heart. An incremental change in programming and a monumental change of heart. We may need to tweak some of what we do and how we do it, but our hearts need an overhaul. Well before we began to name transformation as one of our ECC touchstones, we knew that for us as a, as a congregation, transformation was key. It wasn't about a drastic change in our programs or our ministries or what we do or how we do them. It was about who we are as individuals and as a church body. It would be a monumental change of heart. Last week, we uh, talked about John 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. Jesus there was speaking of us as branches who abide in, remain in, and dwell in him, the, the true vine, bearing fruit for God's kingdom, the fruit of transformed lives and the fruit of people entering into the kingdom of God, coming to know Christ and following him as disciples. And in that teaching, Jesus used the imagery of the vineyard. He uses the same imagery in today's passage, only he shifts the focus to a fig tree that is planted in the vineyard. It was very common for fig trees to be planted in the vineyards in those days, if for no other reason than it provided shade for the workers on the hot days. In the chapters preceding this parable in Luke's gospel, Jesus speaks often about judgment. Often there are passages of warning and the consequences of of choosing to go the wrong way. There's a, there's a type of life, Jesus says, the, the good life, the abundant life, the kingdom life, that we forfeit if we do not repent of the things that make for sin. And all this talk of judgment and uh, the consequences of sin must have stirred something in the hearts and minds of some of the people, at least in the crowd that day. Some of them remember an event in which some Galileans were killed by Pontius Pilate, and they wondered if this was the kind of thing Jesus was talking about. Did these Galileans deserve to die this way? Did they deserve the punishment that they got? So Jesus answers their question, and then he gives them another example of a similar event to make sure that the point is clear. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Now there were some, pre some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. 
But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or, and he adds one for them, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus puts their concern to rest about both events. No, he says, they didn't die this way because God was punishing them for something. That's not how God works. And yet, Jesus continues to use both of these events as pictures, as images of judgment. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So the context for what comes next, the context is the need for repentance. Verses 6 through 9. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but, it did, not, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up all the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And we're back to the business we first encountered in last week's passage in John 15, the business of bearing fruit. There Jesus commanded his followers to remain in him, to abide, to dwell in him and his love, and to keep his commands. Doing these things would cause us to bear fruit in our own lives, as I've said, the fruit of transformation and the fruit of people entering into the kingdom of God. The owner of the vineyard wants to cut this fig tree down, but the gardener wants more time. Give me one more year. We're not told what the owner of the vineyard decided at that moment. It just kind of ends right there. It's like a little cliffhanger. The suggestion to give the tree and the gardener one more year simply hangs there as if inviting you and I to reflect on our own situations concerning sin, concerning repentance, concerning our own spiritual health and fruitfulness. It just kind of sits there. Now again, remember, that twice before this parable, Jesus has told his listeners that unless they repent, they too will all perish. And what, what does repentance mean? What does repentance mean? The, the word translated here as repent in the Greek uh, most literally means to change one's mind. Metanaeo, to change one's mind. It is to recognize that the way we are going will lead to ruin, to recognize that the way we are going will lead to ruin, and to decide to change our minds, and to decide to go in a new direction, a better direction. The goal of repentance is not merely that we stop doing bad things and start doing good things. The goal is that we become the kind of people, as Dallas Willard once put it, who easily and routinely do what Jesus says to do, often without even having to think about it much. Wherever you are in your own relationship with God, with faith, with religion in general, doesn't it sound freeing to be able to live well and to live rightly without it always having to be a struggle? Again, the goal is not to stop sinning. The goal is transformation, to become a different kind of person, the kind of person who sins less today than you did a year ago or three years ago or five years ago, and to do so routinely and easily without having to think much about it. Doesn't that sound good? The past few months, a small number of people have been gathering and praying about a potential name change for ECC. And in our first meeting, we were reviewing where we were and why we had come to this place of considering a name change. The idea has popped up before in ECC's history. It's not new, but most recently it was named as a potential strategy during that vitality pathway that 
uh, I mentioned that someone who took part in it suggested that as something we consider. As we discussed this, we were reminded of the biblical story that had been prayerfully discerned by a group of about 10 people as a part of the Vitality Pathway. The goal was to find a biblical story to serve as an image, a metaphor, a picture of where we are on this journey to become more healthy and missional and uh, where we need to go. That group of people landed on a difficult story that we came to believe spoke the truth to us. It was Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. So I'm going to read it for you once again. Hopefully, I'm going to read it for you one more time for the last time in this context, using it the way we're using it right now. Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> as we discussed this biblical story, Margaret Martin, a member of the Name Change Discernment Team, said something that caused me to stop short. And just to notice it deep in my soul. She said, that's not our story anymore. That's not who we are. We need a new story. I knew in an instant this was something God wanted us to hear. We need a new story. We need a new story to help us remember <clears throat> who we are. And what God has been doing in our midst <clears throat> to celebrate what God has been doing and to move forward. Over the, over the last six plus years, we have done some very hard work. And we are more healthy and missional than we've been in a long time. Through the Vitality Pathway, all of you who served on committees and teams, all of you who took part in workshops and did the work, in and through you, the gardener has been digging around us, cultivating us, fertilizing the soil, and we are bearing fruit again. Last week I mentioned the book, The Other Half of Church, by uh, Mitchell Hendricks and Jim Wilder, and I said that one of the things that book points out is the need for healthy soil. Healthy soil for any congregation that longs for transformation. The authors list out four essential nutrients to the soil, the, the sort of the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium necessary for transformation and the bearing of fruit. <clears throat> we mentioned the last one, the first one last week, but here are all four. Joy. Chesed. 
the Hebrew word for steadfast love, is in the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Joy, chesed, group identity, and a healthy culture of correction. This morning, I want to end with some reflection and action on the last two nutrients, the group identity and the culture of correction. I want us to remember who we are. Since 2017, we have changed and we are still changing, thanks be to God. Those, those years have given us the time to dig around the barren fig tree and, and cultivate the soil. <clears throat> those years have been the 17-minute rain delay we needed to be reminded of who we are. If you are new to ECC, first of all, welcome. Welcome. Second, in my 16 years here as lead pastor, there has never been a better time to become a part of ECC. God is at work in our midst in fresh ways, and we are glad that you get to be a part of it with us. But as is often the case in just about anything that is is good, over time, it can lose its punch, it can lose its momentum, our, our commitments to very good things can fade. We can become complacent if we fail to pay attention to them as we should. One of the commitments we started making to one another because of, of the work of the Vitality Pathway was our relational covenant. It was, a, it was a covenant we made with one another, promising to behave and relate to one another in certain ways, ways that honor the calling of Scripture and that change uh, that is happening uh, in, in us and where God is calling us. Our prayerful and intentional adherence to our relational covenant has changed us and it has changed our church culture and it's continuing to change us you know one of the things they tell you when you're doing stuff like this is you have to keep saying things over and over as the one who does most of the speaking until you're sick of it i am really sick of it i'm sick of it but that's just the time i need to keep doing it but i think it's worked i think our attention to the relational covenant has worked Not just because it's a covenant, but because we have paid attention to it. We have tried to make it a part of our culture. So what I want to do this morning is walk us through that covenant slowly, prayerfully, and with open hearts to any way that God might want to point out to us where where we need to be challenged in the process. Where we need to repent, to make a decision and go in another direction. I led our staff on a similar exercise a few weeks ago. We're going to use the relational covenant to remind us of who we are, our group identity, and to allow the Spirit of God to speak words of healthy correction to us as individuals and as a congregation. The relational covenant is inspired by a brief passage of Scripture from Colossians 3, verses 12 to 15, where the Apostle Paul exhorts us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So we're going to take a moment of silence to prepare our hearts for a time of prayer and response, and then we're going to read the opening paragraph to the covenant together. It'll be projected on the screen. And after that, each line will continue to be projected, but I'm just going to read that. You don't have to do that. I'm going to read it. I'm going to maybe ask a question or two, 
and we're going to sit in silence. Megan's going to play softly behind us as we do that. And just ask that the Spirit of God might show us one or two places in this covenant that we need to give attention to in our lives, where we have uh, failed, where we have uh, broken this covenant, or where we're harboring things that we need to let go of. I, I don't, I, I don't want to give it too much definition. I just want to trust that the Spirit will speak. So we're going to do that. Right now, just join me for a moment of silence, and then we'll read the opening part together. Would you read with me the paragraph on the screen? In obedience to the teaching of God's word and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we, the people of ECC, commit to the following ways of working together. We will extend grace and forgiveness to one another. Where have we failed to forgive those who wronged us? Or to harbor, where we have harbored bitterness to those who have against those who have caused this pain. source of unity and encouragement where have we sought to cause division instead of unity and discouragement instead of encouragement speak wisely and carefully, understanding that words can tear down or build up. Where have we been careless in our words to or about one another? give each other the benefit of the doubt. In our staff uh, covenant, we've modified this just a bit to say that we will have faith in one another and we will assume the best intentions and motivations whenever words or actions cause us pain. Where have we assumed the worst about someone rather than the best? Where have we sown seeds of distrust instead of trust?
we will respect, honor, encourage, and pray for the leadership of ECC. Where have we been disrespectful and discouraging toward our leadership, those on staff and those who lead in our council or other commissions and teams? Where have we neglected to pray for them instead? commit ourselves to God's work and the mission of the church, where have we become complacent, excusing our refusal to contribute to the work of the mission where help is needed? to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Where have we been selfish and more concerned with our own needs and wants rather than those of others? speak for ourselves only? Where have we allowed ourselves to be triangulated, speaking on behalf of others, real or imagined, so that we might bolster our opinions and desires? communicate directly to those with whom we disagree? Where have we grumbled against one another to others rather than going to one another and pursuing healthy conflict resolution? faithfully pray for and support ECC's vision and direction? Where have we become complacent or spoken ill of ECC's mission and ministries rather than supporting ECC in word, prayer, and service?
Will you join with me as we together read the last paragraph? We will move forward together, trusting that God is fully capable of using imperfect people and imperfect decisions to accomplish his perfect will, believing that in our differences, God energizes, stretches, and helps us to mature. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the work that you have so generously done in us and through us over these last six years. We thank you, Lord, for even the most difficult and painful parts of that work and that you have not given up on us, that you are here, that you, you are the one who uh, asks for more time to cultivate the soil. I pray that you would take whatever we may have sensed and heard from you in this place in this time of prayer and would act on it in prayer, in word, in deed, that you would give us the grace to repent here and in every area of life and to know that your call to repentance is a call to a better life, a good life, an abundant life. Lord, help us to do so with joy and with anticipation that you are at work. For God, we are your people. We are uh, your church, your royal priesthood. We, Lord God, are who you have made us to be and sometimes we forget and act in ways that are contrary. Help us, Lord God, to be holy once again, to step more and more into Lord, the, the place where you're taking us and to march with you, to be in step with your spirit every step of the way. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name.